0: You're listening to episode number three of the Boys Built Better podcast. Today, we're talking to couples and family therapist, Kyle Douglas, about the mental well-being of boys. Welcome to the Boys Built Better podcast. I'm Jessica, a mom of three boys who is just trying to do things better. I'm coming to you from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I live with my husband, our boys, and a whole lot of four-legged friends. I'm here to share my thoughts on raising boys in today's world, find answers to your parenting questions, and chat with experts about building happy, healthy boys. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. We are talking to Fort Collins-based therapist Kyle Douglas, and today we're going to be talking about raising mentally healthy boys and also understanding therapy a little bit more and when to utilize it. So let's cut on over to the interview. Hi, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. Well, before we get started, I have a little icebreaker. Okay. Okay. For parents, for interviewees that are parents, I mm-hmm. ask them what their favorite parenting tip might be. Okay. But I know you're not a parent. Sure. So because we're going to be talking about mental wellness, mm-hmm. and I'm totally putting you on the spot here. Sure. sure. What is maybe something that you try to do for yourself to keep you mentally well? fit. Yes.
1: Um so I think uh my the first thing I always tell others and parents and that I try to do for myself is the self-care piece. Yeah. Uh trying to do things that really take care of myself so that as a a person who is there for others all day, I can do that best whenever I'm in a good space. So for me, I have a bedtime. Uh you know, when I was little, I never thought it would come out of my mouth. I'd be excited <laughs> I have a bedtime. But uh, I am in bed by eleven, and I am asleep by eleven thirty, and that helps me get enough sleep to be able to be present and really thoughtful. Um, and so that's just one of the self care things. Uh, I also love I I love Netflix, and I love uh, right now my thing is Westworld. So my husband
0: loves Westworld. Oh my
1: goodness, it's wonderful. Um, but being able to take time and slow down, and when I'm watching my show, I'm present with that. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, emailing clients back. I'm not writing notes. I'm not doing other networking events. I'm just present with this moment of this wonderful show that I really dig. So being able to take care of myself and have times to where I can slow down and be present helps me then to be able to continue to give back.
0: Cool. I like that. There was a, there's a book, you probably have it since you're a therapist. There's a book that I've read as a parent about, a uh, if your cup is empty, you can't give to other people. What is mm-hmm. the name of that book? I can't. You think know? Of it. All right, I will try and find yeah. the name of that book, and I will, I'll link to it in the show notes. Yes. But it's about, about that you can't give to others unless your own cup is full, and if yes. your cup is empty. So it, that reminded me of that. Oh, book. absolutely. It's just
1: like uh, whenever you sit down, and if you're a parent uh, on a on a plane, they tell you if the oxygen masks fall, uh, make sure you put yours on first, because as parents, your instinct is to take care of your kids. But if you're incapacitated, you won't be able to take care of your, your kiddos. So it's kind of the same concept.
0: Yeah. So even as a professional, you still yes. need to take care of yourself. Yes. So for listeners who are not familiar with you and your work, can you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself? Sure.
1: Yeah. So uh, to give just a little history, I taught preschool for uh, four years before I went back to get my master's for couples and family therapy. So um, I, I've always had a passion for early childhood development. Um As I was going through that uh, stage of my life, I realized I wanted to have a deeper impact, um, and I wanted to be able to include the families. Uh, In my classrooms, I was able to have the one-on-one, and it was sometimes more difficult to bring in uh, the caregivers. So when I found therapy, and found family therapy in particular, I was really excited thinking like, now I can have an impact on this kiddo's kiddo's world that's longer lasting, that's, that has more reach, um, because I can bring mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or, her, or whoever in, brothers and sisters, to have that bigger impact. Uh, so that being said, I'm uh, pretty systemically focused in that I see whoever's sitting across from me, even if it's just individual counseling, uh, with all their different hats, all the different things that they do in their life. Um, whether they're um, a mom, a sister, a coworker, a, a a partner. I think seeing people in that capacity allows them to, to really have the change they need here and take it out and use it in all the different facets in their life.
0: Cool. So, yeah. so the goal today, my idea of, of why I want to talk to you is I want to talk about the mental well-being of boys and how a parent of boys can help develop a healthy mental child but before we get to that point I I wanted to ask you about in general about men that you see in your practice today and are there any trends that you see or anything that you can kind of say Hmm, maybe we need to work on this as a society yeah
1: So, and my experience is that men can typically be the more difficult clients that I see. Uh, And that's primarily because um, I think men are socialized, that it is okay to feel two emotions, and that's angry and stoic. And anything else can make, uh, we're we're told it makes you weak. And so I I have men come in, and there is obviously something going on in their worlds, but it's really difficult for them to pinpoint what it is. Uh, And oftentimes, it's an emotion of um, maybe shame, maybe an emotion of uh, feeling inadequate. But these are feelings that men aren't socialized to be able to express or to feel. And so, since that's not allowed, it's really hard for men to identify what's going on for them. So, my approach to working with, with boys is to kind of work backwards and say, how do we grow boys? to be men who can access
0: emotions that are on a, on a spectrum rather than just I'm angry or stoic. That's so interesting. What you just said I find to be really interesting because you're saying that I, I totally get that men are sort of raised to be manly right quote unquote Mm -hmm. manly for better or for worse but if you've got somebody in your office who then recognizes that they have therapy and wants to fix something Mm -hmm. it's really interesting what I heard you say was that they don't even know the words for the emotions yes
1: yes because and and it's I I feel like I can speak to this because being a man uh, in a field that's really touchy-feely I often have people uh, ask me, well, how did you you get here? Uh, And my answer is through a lot of self-discovery and a lot of work because it was hard to uh, be present with, uh, yeah, what is happening for me? Um, And so whenever I see men struggle with that, I feel like I have a lot of compassion because I think, yeah, I get it. I know what it's like to, to have these issues come up with your partner and not know how to express yourself. I know what it's like to... Uh, and teaching preschool as well. uh, Catching flack for people not knowing if I was safe just simply because I'm a male to be working in a preschool. Um, So I know that there's just a lot of stigma around it and I think the first step and something I do with all the men who come in is I recognize it. Hey, I realize there's a stigma around therapy and I realize that there might be an extra layer of uh, difficulty around touching some of these deeper emotions. Uh, and I think sometimes just recognizing that and being present with it allows it to be out on the table. And it then helps us to
0: say, okay, cool. What are these things that
1: we're struggling to to pinpoint or to name?
0: So is that a piece of the therapy with an adult man to actually start to understand and name specific <coughs> emotions that they might not?
1: Um, yeah, get? it can be. And I guess sometimes, I guess I might also be uh, reducing the majority of men to, uh, I don't want to say we're all like cavemen, right? (laughs) Uh, I think there are a lot of men that do have a very broad spectrum of emotional intelligence. Um, I would say that uh, even those who have the broad spectrum of emotional intelligence still face the stigma of, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, boys who are, when, when we talk about younger boys who have that emotional intelligence, sometimes they get picked on in school. Uh, for, being, for being sensitive. Um, and so it, it's hard, because we do fight a social, uh, a social war that sometimes is hard won whenever we're working just one-on-one here in therapy. But again, I think just being present with it and being honest that this is something that we're dealing with, um, I think it provides a little bit of validation around some feelings that we can't share with others.
0: So knowing all of that, let's walk it back mm-hmm. to raising boys. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Which are, no, yeah, yeah. no, you're doing great. Just uh, because that, I, I'm a parent of boys. So yeah. I would like to be doing my best to sort of sure. give them tools now to yes. make their lives easier going forward. So in your opinion, what would be some great things for parents? I, I mean, of children in general, right? Sure. It doesn't necessarily just relate to boys. Sure. That's that's what I'm doing is raising boys. So, And knowing what we know about boys, uh, having to be manly Mm -hmm. or, you know, this idea of what it's like to be a boy, you know, how do you do parents help also facilitate the emotional piece? Sure.
1: So I think we can build on this concept of manliness while encouraging emotion. So for example, we can say, uh, socially it's acceptable to be, uh, really brave. Well, we can use that concept of manly and brave to say it's brave, because it is, to express how you're feeling, uh, to be sensitive, to uh, encourage boys to say, hey, let's talk about what's going on for you. Uh, if you see a classmate that is is having a bad day or struggling, it is brave, it is courageous, it's all these things that are stereotypically manly, to go over and reach out to this kiddo and see what's going on for them. So... If anything, we can even kind of I think build on the stereotypes that are built around manliness for boys and say, uh, and and use that in a way to direct towards emotional intelligence.
0: Great. And any tips for maybe parents of younger boys? Because yeah. I feel like being able <clears throat> to use that concept of rage might be more appropriate sure. for more of an elementary school child. Mm-hmm. But what about that sort of mental development of younger?
1: Yeah. Uh, so early development, I like to all kind of go back to this concept of uh, theory of mind that's developed in, in infancy uh, and toddlers, and it's the concept that others exist. And sometimes you'll see this with your kids whenever they're talking to grandma and grandpa on the phone, and they're really excited about whatever new toy they've got, and they're talking to them as if they can see the toy. So it's, they haven't quite developed this concept that that uh, they can't they're, they're not present. They're not there seeing what's happening that they have a different experience. And so I think fostering a development of theory of mind, developing this concept that there are others and that others have a separate experience is something that parents can do um, throughout the life cycle of of kiddos, from infancy all the way, I I think it should still be continued as adults, uh, this fostering of like there are others and other people have other experiences. And we can see this even with like two-year-olds because we talk about two-year-olds get excited with the word no. (laughs) And uh, that that in itself can be this concept of theory of mind of like, I can say no and it has an effect on you. Or if you watch uh, an infant throw things on the floor, they're excited to see that they are causing an action that has a reaction on your end. So it's realizing that you're out there and that they are having an effect on you. Um, and then that can slowly develop into uh, you have an effect on me as well. Um, but yeah, just for for parents, it's continuing to just foster this this growth and mental development of there are other people and other people have other experiences.
0: I like that. We were talking about something before we started recording that happened to me this week, which I won't get into. But I think that that's probably important for me to even visit with my son. That that if you have some sort of altercation, that and you don't like the way somebody reacts that they also have a different experience and they are, they are approaching the world from their experience and you're having your own experience. So I don't know that that struck me. Um, So we're talking about boys developing um, and, and how a lot of this does also relate to girls. And Mm -hmm. these are great parenting tips for just children, but is there any difference between the brain of a boy and the brain of a girl?
1: Um, I'm sure scientifically, biologically, we can come up with uh, a few differences. I would, I err always on the side of, of nurture versus nature um, because I think nurture happens to have a pretty Im- big impact on how nature takes its place. Um, so in that respect, yes, I'm sure scientifically there is um, a nature component, but I would say nurture-wise... And nurture is where our social constructs come in, how our personal biases come in, how gender comes in. Um, If we were to remove all of those, I would say boys and girls would develop pretty darn similarly.
0: So knowing about kind of maybe how difficult it is to be a boy, that you have to work under these, or grow and uh, under these society- societal images of Mm -hmm. what a boy is supposed to be and maybe you're a sensitive boy maybe you have a parent that's been working with you and you understand your emotions but it's hard to access them or utilize them without feeling like you're going to be judged at school or or called a name do you are there any coping mechanisms that boys can use if they've got sort of this great emotional life but then are terrified of being judged for it yeah
1: so i think uh I, I'm always a big fan of owning our own narrative. And so in, in this case, it would be owning that yes, I have, I have a skill that maybe others don't and seeing that sensitivity as a, as a strength. So um, you know, if, if kiddo comes home and he's struggling because uh, someone called him a name that signifies he's weak because he's feeling, he's feeling sensitive, recognizing that sensitivity as a strength, Wow. This is something you're really good at. You really notice when you're feeling sad. You really notice when others are feeling sad. Uh, And you're really able to talk about it. And really building it up as this is kind of like a superpower that you have. Um, I think it empowers and it helps own our narrative of, yeah, I I do have that. And it's not something I need to see as a deficit, but it's something I can own and that I can be proud of.
0: What about in that moment between school and home? right? Because yeah. that that example is how you can kind of coach your child sure. through that at home. Mm-hmm. But what about during the day at school? You know, how do you get through the rest of that day at school feeling upset? Is there any way to separate that or, or move past it or hold it for another time? <laughs>
1: sure. I, so in the moment, it's always hard uh, knowing how to move forward um, while you're at school or when you're not in the vicinity to provide the coaching or the, the love that that kiddos need. Um, I think then it comes down to talking about resources for kiddos while they're at school. Um, In what way can you build? And and I I realize this takes preemptive work. Mm -hmm. Um, But in what way can you provide a safe space for kids at school, right? Um, And one that's unique to them. So does your desk feel like a place where you can go whenever you need space or whenever you feel upset? you know, can you ask to to go to the restroom or can you go to a teacher? Um, A lot of preschools now, I love it. It's, they'll have cozy corners, uh, a place where you can go when you feel like overwhelmed. Um, And I know, I recognize that not all schools and especially as boys are getting older, Mm -hmm. they're not going to have cozy corners. Um, But uh, being able to, to, you know, troubleshoot and find ways that That your boy can feel comfortable and safe, and they have a space that feels like their own at school Mm -hmm. can be really helpful. Sometimes it's just, hey, I can be by my locker and I can have my phone out, and that feels good. Mm -hmm. Or if phones aren't allowed, I can be there and I can be doing, I can be doodling or writing, taking notes or journaling, and that feels safe. Um, Creating safe places is something not just that boys need at school, but that we need as adults, even in the workplace. If we think about going to work and not knowing if there's a place where we can be okay it sure makes the work day really scary
0: yeah absolutely you mentioned a little bit about well I actually mentioned a little bit about being in that moment and and that reminds me of the moments that I've had with my kids where their emotions sort of the the coping mechanisms have maybe fallen apart and we're dealing with like a tantrum sure. situation sure um and then you know the ability to even recognize that you need to go to a safe place i know this sure. perfect personal experience i've got a kid that when he gets upset he doesn't really want to stop sure. like it feels good to be um, upset and mm-hmm. angry and i'd rather keep this powerful emotion yeah. so is there anything that parents can do no matter what the age to help somebody who's having an extreme emotional reaction sure. um sort of recognize that they need to kind of roll it back
1: sure and so this is where I think uh, CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy comes in uh, because in the moment we're not able to do this um, fun experiential existential process Uh, we need concrete things that are going to help right away Uh, CBT cognitive behavioral therapy is what's used a lot in schools because school counselors are stretched sometimes pretty thin between all the kids at their school plus maybe they have two or three other schools they have to be at And they don't have time to sit and do this big experiential thing. So can can
0: you tell us a little bit more about that? What is CBT?
1: So it's, um, I think maybe giving an example uh, might be helpful. So it's just finding a behavior um, that we can quick use in the moment, I guess is a good way to Mm. break that down. Okay. So uh, the classic is count to 10. When I feel angry, I'm going to count to 10. Uh, Now counting to 10 is not going to get to the root of the issue. But it's in the moment and it's something that will help you get to a place where you can get to the, the root of what's going on for you.
0: Sure. Like like counting to 10 all the time isn't actually going to yeah. take those emotions and develop them into anything else. Right. But if you need it, it might give you uh, the sense of mind enough to sort of yes. make a different choice. Yeah.
1: it's It's in the moment coping skills.
0: Is there anything else you can give us parents who might need it besides counting to 10? Right. That's like, that totally is the classic. Yes, it is the classic. <laughs> uh,
1: breathe, count to 10. Um, I'm trying to think. So for for, for the younger ones, uh, the, oh, what are they called? They're um, made out of two liter bottles or, and, and you just create, you put a lot of glue and-
0: Sure. Uh I know what you're talking about uh, like uh, maybe call? I'll try and find directions on how to make one and I'll link it in the show notes but I'm almost thinking of like like a lava lampy kind of thing yes. like something yeah, that got you the can... glitter and okay. the
1: fun and uh, it helps it helps calm down helps you calm down to play with it shake it watch it all all fall um, you know in those moments it's hard sometimes we have to we have to ride the wave mm-hmm. until we get to the other side and say okay what worked and what didn't Um, And then we just continue to tweak until we have something that that works in the moment. Um, And it'll still need to be adjusted, I'm sure. Um, You know, sometimes it it works to have, you know, I think back for me it was time out. But for kids it can be something as like uh, getting space and encouraging space. Like what do you need to keep your body safe? Um, Working with kids who have maybe some anger issues... Um, I do a lot of boundary setting around, like, we can feel big emotions in here. You don't have to be happy. You can be very angry. You can be angry with me as long as you keep yourself safe, me safe, and our
0: our surroundings safe. Yeah, um, and that's sort of the work before, too, right? Yeah. That's just a part of the piece of that. Um, well, now that we've got some kind of tips for how to... Handle and grow sure. emotional well-being. Let's talk a little bit more about therapy. You mentioned mm-hmm. CBT cognitive behavioral yep. therapy as a type of therapy. Are there other types of therapy out there's,
1: there? Yeah, there's lots. Um, I personally, when it comes to uh, to all that i do, i'm I'm very person-centered in that uh, I believe everyone has innately the tools within themselves to grow and reach their full potential. Uh, and I'm using my skills and my know-how to discover it. Um, I like to think of us as like co-Indiana Jones. We're both exploring together to find what those innate strengths are. Um, I do a lot of uh, child-centered play therapy. And again, it takes that really um, person-centered, honoring growth mindset and allowing kids to explore whatever's going on through them, or with them through their play. Um, and so those are kind of the two approaches I take, uh, personally, like for therapy and then specifically with, with children.
0: Okay. I have a question about play therapy. Sure. Because I did have a kiddo who was in therapy when he was in first grade for a little while. Um, and, and I've also read that play therapy Mm -hmm. is a great way to work with kids. So I'd love for you to elaborate on that a little bit, but here's, this is my question. Sure. My child is now older and we're looking at maybe um doing some more therapy but his uh, impression is that specifically he didn't want to go back to the same therapist because he feels like that therapist is that's not going to work for him anymore like that he would never go yeah that's young and he's not going to go use puppets and use superhero toys so he almost has this idea that like, th- that's not for me. So how, what does play therapy look like at different ages? Sure.
1: So being very person-centered, I think play therapy should grow with, with the development of the, of the child. So, um, And it doesn't just have to depend on age, but it can be um, emotional development. Uh, so if, if the kiddo comes in and he is into a space where he's really into the, the superheroes, we break out superheroes. Um, you know, around like 8, 9, maybe 10 uh, superheroes maybe aren't quite as cool. Um, I find that Pokemon is a big mm-hmm. a big hit still. So w- we play some Pokemon. Uh, we play with uh, RC cars. Uh, the play is going to grow with the kiddo. Uh, otherwise, they would be bored to death.
0: Right. Yeah. Or feel maybe condescended to Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, and I think, too, really speaking to children in a developmentally appropriate, but also very, um, I don't know, kind of honoring kind of way of like, you're a real person and you understand me and you understand the world. Um, I think it really validates who they are because oftentimes children just in general in the world are, are sometimes talked down to, um, and they, they understand and they recognize a lot more of what's going on than sometimes we give them credit for
0: and what about even moving into like a preteen or a teenager is place sure. therapy, something you would still, does that still work? What do you play with a, a yeah. preteen or a teenager? So
1: Again, it's, it's kind of developmental age. Uh, I have, I've had 12, 13 year olds that are maybe developmentally a little younger. Maybe they present maybe more around seven or eight just mm-hmm. based on trauma. And so then we would do what a seven or eight year olds into. Um, however, you and know, maybe the opposite. Right? You may have opposite. a very mature yes. seven or eight-year-old yes. because of their own experience. Yes. Um, and so in that case, if they're comfortable having like a, just um, what we would consider typical adult one-on-one conversations, conver- excuse me, conversational style therapy, that's what we'll do. Um, otherwise, like I have lots of coloring books around here. Sometimes it's easier to color while you're talking. That way you're not staring at each other um playing with play-doh is a fun thing going for walks um i'll take my my preteens love to go get coffee with me we'll go get coffee together um and if it's nice go sit in the park so it's again we're, we're mimicking what's going on in their world so uh, like kiddos would be playing like seven or eight they might be playing with their friends and they're playing action figures well the preteen is wanting to go on coffee dates hang and they're out. wanting to go hang out so we're going to mimic that in their world mm-hmm. because we want them to feel comfortable and to feel like uh, therapy is not this foreign thing that we come and do and it's awkward. It's We're trying to just make it fit and feel as comfortable as possible. And
0: then that comfort level or that sort of distraction of the play allows mm-hmm. the work to take place?
1: Yes, yeah. it's uh, I, I like to think of it as um, uh, passenger seat therapy. So if you've ever been driving uh, with someone and you're in the passenger seat Sometimes the passenger seat feels like the safest place to start to unveil or talk about or really connect because you're not able to like have (laughs) this uh, visual stare down with the driver because hopefully they're paying attention. Um, but it feels you, you still feel connected and you're doing a similar activity while still sharing, and so that's a lot like what play therapy is like we're doing an activity that allows us to lower our defenses. It allows us to be present in a way where maybe before we would feel
0: a little awkward. Uh, this idea of passenger seat therapy is making me laugh because I interviewed a pediatrician. Yeah, It was like the last show okay. and he even said, I had said I had a conversation about sexual development or actually sex with my son when Mm -hmm. he was in third grade and it was in the car. Sure. And he even said something else like that. Like, well, sometimes it's easier to have a chat when you're not really looking at each other. So maybe a lot of work can happen in the car. Oh,
1: definitely. (laughs) Yes. Well, and, and there, of course we get, you know, signatures to go on car rides, but car rides are great. You know, if we go, uh, we do have a coffee shop across the street and walking and talking is fun. Um, but if, If some kiddos want to go like down the street to Dunkin'
0: Donuts, we'll hop in the car. Well, I'm just thinking of taking that approach on as a parent. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like, hey, let's go for a ride. Yes. Oh, definitely. So if somebody has never been to a therapist Mm -hmm. or utilized therapy, what does that process look like? Like walk me through the first visit and then sort of as it progresses.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we'll look at like, what it would be like for parents or caregivers to bring their, their kids in. Um, so the way I, I typically like to do it is it, whoever is going to be involved, I like to have as many as possible. So if, um, if it's a, a typical family of, of mom and dad or, or both caregivers, I like to have them both present just so that everyone's on the same page um, as well as have kiddo present. So I'd have everyone come to the initial session and uh, everyone come in, and we would sign the disclosure statement. Uh, I like to hand everybody. So if if it's both caregivers and kiddo, even kiddo gets a disclosure statement.
0: What is the disclosure statement? Yes. Maybe that's getting a little <clears throat> sure. sort of like, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of people might not understand. Sure, so sure. what are you entering yes. into in terms of so, like a contractual yeah. thing?
1: Yeah. So I, I recently just posted about this on Facebook. On Facebook on my Facebook page, and it's just this. I have a love for boundaries because uh, I think with boundaries they kind of equal freedom. And so when we know what to expect, we also know how to act and how to be in a in a in a place. And kiddos really thrive on boundaries. Um, and so what I'm doing is I'm providing very first session the boundaries of therapy and how therapy is going to be and how we can be in therapy. And so. Of course, there's these bigger concepts for adults around like uh, legal, all the legalities. Uh, This is what you're entitled to. This is uh, like rules around disclosure. So we, we cover all that for the adults. And for kiddo, I want to, I want to treat them as if they also have that autonomy and authority to, to be present in the room. And it's funny handing them a disclosure statement, this big legal piece, just like I hand their parents you can almost see them like puff up like, ooh, I'm, I must at, be important.
0: I can handle this.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm doing that all in a way to also allow allow kiddo to see me as a safe place because uh, kids will often look to their caregivers to, to provide that information. Is this a safe place? Is this person a safe person? And so when I'm doing that and I'm building this connection with mom and dad, I'm also doing it in a way that shows kid this is a safe place. You can be okay here. And it just creates comfortability and allows us to s- set up on the right foot our our work. Um, and so then after that, after we do all that, um, I'll have I'll have kiddo go sit in the lobby, and then I will check in with mom and dad so that uh, we can have a real discussion around what's happening for what they what they see happening for their kid. Um, and I like to do that because I think there are certain things that kids just shouldn't have to to sit through. Um, maybe they're it's just things they, they can't hear yet. It's mm-hmm. not developmentally appropriate. Whether there's a divorce going on, may, maybe there's some parental alienation, maybe it's just some real parent fears around what's happening. Uh, we don't need to burden them with that information. So check in with, with parents, and then uh, I like to do the last like five minutes or so of the consultation, or if it's the full session, do the last 30 minutes, where we just let kid go back. We have a hall of toys. <clears throat> and uh it's kind of like disneyland when you get back there (laughs) and i'm just like all right dude grab what you want like let's let's take some stuff back and like let's let's play and so we're then just building a connection uh there's not a whole lot of therapy that's happening i'm doing a lot of observing in that first session uh observing of attachment observing of developmental milestones observing of of language and cognitive reasoning and but uh I would say a good majority of it is just helping build that connection.
0: And then how does that then progress as therapy progresses?
1: Um, So, uh, you know, connection is, is really important. We, we continue to do that uh, because something between 80, the the research shows 80 to 90% of therapy is built on therapeutic relationship. Um, So there is a lot of growth always around that. Uh, However, I like to tailor my play therapy as I learn about how kiddo is going to communicate to me what they're needing. Uh, So that being said, if kiddo is struggling uh, to use words or maybe they don't have language developed yet, I will introduce more play things where they can communicate through their toys. Um, Like action figures, bringing more action figures into the play or having more th- more items available that allow them to communicate. So I'm doing a lot of tailoring more of myself than I am necessarily of the activities so that I can understand and see what the what what kiddo's trying to
0: say. And I I'm, I'm sure you can't answer this, yeah. but I'm going to ask you this question sure. that you can't answer anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, especially if again for anyone that might be considering therapy or really doesn't know about it, you know what sort of length of time might somebody be in yes. therapy?
1: Um so I really like to let parents know like I'm here as a resource for you and you are the authority on your kiddo and what they need. So if you're coming in and you say we want to see a behavioral shift in X Y and Z. Well if that behavioral shift occurs and you feel like that's enough, okay. Uh I'm going to trust that you know what you're needing for your kiddo. Um you know, I can always give my recommendations after we check in because I like to continue to have a dialogue, very open, transparent dialogue with with parents and caregivers around like, this is what I'm seeing. I rarely let uh, sessions go more than than two sessions without checking in. I recognize sometimes uh, parents are running late or they have to quit, go pick up sister or brother or whatever, um, and maybe they don't have time for a check-in on one session. But by the end of the second session, I want to at least have five minutes to where we're we're having a dialogue. Um, and I think doing that allows us to all be on the same page about how treatment's going.
0: So maybe the, the length of therapy depends on a couple of things on what you're working on and yep. then sort of what both the parent mm-hmm. and the therapist yes. decide.
1: Yeah. Because I think, I think a lot of times we also approach, uh, therapy for children as uh, this is a problem with my child, fix my child. And that approach, if, if that was the case, then it'd be real easy to say like 10 sessions would fix this problem. Um, and because I don't see it as necessarily one person's problem, it's more of a systems approach. Mm-hmm. I can say, let's bring us all in and we'll discuss what's going on. And as we feel like the system has changed, then we can say, okay, well, let's take a look at maybe two more sessions. Or Which, which is, is
0: really, really, really interesting to think about too, because, you know, maybe you could put a mental Band-Aid on their child, yes. but if, if the yeah. situation at home is actually contributing to the problem, then then it doesn't really, the Band-Aid's going to get ripped off. Yes,
1: yes, <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely.
0: Um, what about, and this is another piece with, with my kid in particular, because we've been talking about maybe doing some more therapy, but he sort of feels bad about therapy. Like that there, you, I think you mentioned before the stigma of therapy, but it it makes him feel like something is wrong with him and the fact that he needs therapy makes him bad. Yeah. Um, and so kind of speak to that about, about kids and the stigma therapy and, and how you overcome that.
1: Yeah. Um, I am I'm really hopeful because I do see a shift in maybe the, the teen generation right now around therapy. Um, I think there's a lot more openness to it than there was even 15, 20 years ago for when I was in high school. Um, that being said, I do recognize that there is this concept of we go to therapy like we would go to the doctor. Uh, we only go when we're sick or when there's something wrong. And so then it really becomes this concept of man, there must be something wrong with me for me to need to go to therapy. And, uh, I would say we can all use some type of insight or third party, even when things are going well. In fact, I'd say some of the most, uh, change that I've seen in therapy occurs when people are in a good space because mm-hmm. they're in a space where they have all of their mental, emotional resources and they're able to look at what do I want to change? How do I want my future to look? Um, so it's hard because there is this kind of concept of therapy is for people who are sick. Um, and I think if we can, as parents and as as teachers and, and therapists, encourage this idea of, well, we all could use support. And it's not necessarily because you're sick, but we're looking for support rather than, uh, I don't know, this concept of like something's wrong, let's make it right.
0: Let's fix it. When should a when would you recommend a family reaches out to a therapist?
1: I would say as soon as you notice uh, behavioral or emotional shifts. It doesn't need to necessarily be. I would say don't wait till the car's broken down before you take it into the shop, kind of thing. Uh, if you see the emotional check engine light on your kid come on, that's when I say like reach out um, because that's when we can we can really address issues before they become, uh, something that's more ingrained or more difficult to, to work with.
0: Like the sooner that you reach out, the less likely you're going to need, like the less amount of time, maybe you can kind of fix something or fix quote unquote, fix something before it becomes a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish I, that's, that's, I think that's important. I have a tendency not to do that. Like, even if I'm not well, right. You're like, Oh no, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need to go to the doctor. I'll call them next week or yes. next month, you know, putting it off. So right. I think that's important for parents to realize that maybe going sooner rather than later might have a better outcome than waiting.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I think too, I, I want to speak to the, the part of, um, I, I'm, I know parents when they see that check engine light come on, there's this fear around, maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I, I didn't, I'm failing as a parent. That comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that, that can be a barrier to coming to therapy. Uh, this feeling of like, well, I have to admit failure or I have to admit that like something's not right. And for your uh, own fear of being judged,
0: which I totally get. Yes.
1: (laughs) And, uh, and I, and I totally recognize and respect that. And, um, I really do my absolute best for when parents come in to say, I'm, we're working together. Uh, this is going on in your world. There's no judgment. Judgment should never be present for any type of therapy you do. Um, and we're going to work on this together. Um, and I, I think that just that piece of, I, I hope I'm not, you know, failing my kid. I hope that uh, I'm doing enough. I think that can be a barrier. And I think bringing your kid to therapy is just like bring them to the doctor. It's you doing your best as a parent to make sure that the well-being of your kiddos, emotional uh,
0: well-being is taken care of. So you mentioned that judgment should never be in therapy, which mm-hmm. I totally get. I feel like there should be a lot less judgment overall. Um, You're here in Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. You know, there may be people listening at any number of places who really won't have access to you specifically. So what should someone look for in a therapist?
1: Yeah. So uh, like we talked about a little bit earlier, being able to click with your therapist is so important Uh, because if you don't feel safe with the person that you're supposed to be vulnerable with, uh, I'm not sure how change would ever occur. Uh, for those listening, if if you've ever gotten to check out Brene Brown's TED Talk on vulnerability, she talks about how important vulnerability is for us to grow, and that is so true with therapy. So um, if you if you come in and the space itself doesn't feel welcoming, that might not be a therapist for you. If you come in and the therapist um, you, you're just like, you know what, I don't really click with this person. Maybe I'd feel safer with a male or a female. I'd say seek seek that out. You know what you need to feel comfortable and to feel safe. Uh, so building that relationship is super important. I'd say too, um, if you everyone's credentials uh, should be online and their style um, of, of therapy and approach, I'd say, um, you know if if you are going to be working on sexuality issues or you're working on who am I as a person, Maybe seeing someone who is more religiously inclined, that's great. And knowing if they are gonna have a bias towards your lifestyle or or who you are as a person, that's important to check out. Um,
0: so, like, regardless about how you feel, you yes. know if if like you brought up religion, that there's probably therapists that are and there're therapists that aren't, and you right. can make that decision for yourself whether or not that's something you're comfortable with either yes. side.
1: yes, yeah. um i I've had. I work with, I'd say, a good majority of uh, my client base who are 15-plus are, are part of the LGBT community, mm-hmm. and I hear from them some of these horror stories from coming from other counselors or therapists where they felt really judged, mm-hmm. where they didn't feel safe to even talk about what was, what was important for them or what's going on in their world, and uh, it kind of breaks my heart because I think, man, how much how much influence we as therapists can have on people's lives and how detrimental it would be to feel like your therapist uh, doesn't agree with who you are as a person, that would be really damaging.
0: So I guess really what I've heard you say is that you should feel comfortable. So if you don't, then that's not the right therapist for you and that, and you should not feel judged. Yep. And that, that if you are feeling judged, then that's a signal that, that you should seek out another therapist as
1: well. I'd say that's the biggest red flag.
0: Um, before we finish, what about just being well? I know mm-hmm. you spoke, I asked you earlier about your own sort of rituals for sure. being well, but but what can parents do to just sort of inspire mental well-being in their kids or maybe in themselves so they can be accessible sure. to their kids? Any recommendations?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, your kids are always watching. They're watching you to see how they can be well. And so being a role model of this is how I take care of myself is really can be really helpful for kids. So, um, showing them that it's important to have time for yourself can be really beneficial for both of you. So taking time, like I said, if there's a show you enjoy, uh, take time to set aside to watch it. Um, take time for yourself to do the necessary, uh, physical hygiene things like shower, (laughs) sleep, brush your teeth. Um, and I recognize that it can be difficult when you have kids or multiple children, um, and setting time aside and showing showing your kids that I'm doing this to take care of myself can be really it can have a huge impact.
0: So really something that will help your kids be well is showing how a, you take care of your yes. own self. So yes. almost modeling that.
1: Yeah, modeling it. And yeah.
0: maybe maybe explaining it too, yeah. right? So that they see what and understand what you're doing. Yeah uh that explaining piece is important
1: because you're telling you're telling your child look i'm doing this to take care of myself and it's important that we take care of ourselves because uh, like think about how think about how impactful that would have been i think for even myself around like oh man okay i'm important enough to take care of and be taken care of and to feel okay um I just, I think kids, everyone deserves that. And kids who understand that will have, I think, pretty great coping skills moving forward.
0: Well, thank you very much for being here.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, If anybody wants to find out more information about you, how can we find out more? Do you have a website that people can check out or any? Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, Kyle Douglas Therapy uh, is pretty simple. That's the website. Um, I have the About Me page. I have about kind of my approach to therapy. Um, if you have questions, you can reach me at Kyle Douglas therapy at Gmail, um, phone numbers, uh, on the website and yeah, any questions I'm happy to, I'm happy to answer.
0: Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Boys Built Better podcast. You can check out the show notes at www.boysbuiltbetter.com. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. And I would love it if you can leave a review. Those reviews help other people see the show. Thanks again and see you next time.